Praise God. Hallelujah. How are we doing? Good, good, good. Well, we're going to jump right into the message. I hope that you either brought your Bible or you have uh, your device, whatever device you have, your phone, get your Bible app ready to go. Amen? Amen. God is good all the time. No matter what's going on, He's still good. Amen? Whether we're up, whether we're down, He's still good. For His mercy endures forever. Amen? I said His mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. And the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I like that little endorsement on the end. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This isn't coming from man. This is coming directly from the mouth of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now we've seen, we've been, we've been studying this for at least the past, the past few weeks. And it's very, very apparent that uh, it's clear that preparation requires change. Amen. You can't say that you're preparing for something if you're not changing something, changing your schedule, changing the way you do things, changing maybe the way you dress or changing what you eat. If you're preparing for something, you're going to make changes. Some of them are going to be minor. Some of them are going to be major. Uh, most of them will always be painful. Amen. How many of you know, how many have experienced change? You go, yeah, it's good, but it was painful. Change will always require a threshold experience. This is something that the Spirit of God has been speaking to me for the past couple of years, especially, but especially in the past six months, eight months, this idea of a threshold. And we're going to talk about that a lot this weekend, the idea of a threshold. A threshold is a, could be a strip of wood, it could be metal, it could be stone, forming the bottom of a doorway and it's crossed, uh, you, cross, you cross a threshold when you enter into a house or a room. Some of the cinnamons, we could say synonyms. We could say doorstep, sill, not cinnamon. Uh, doorstep, sill, door sill, doorway, entrance, entry, entryway, uh, gate, a gateway, a portal, anything. You can use any word that refers to what you are crossing over to go from one let's say in the physical one room to another, but we also have thresholds in our lives. It's something, a season that you go from and, and you cross over into a different season. And many times, many times, there is going to be some um, discomfort, if we could put it that way. Amen? Amen? And in some cases, like somebody just said, a lot. Amen? A threshold could be the magnitude or the intensity that must be exceeded for a certain reaction, a phenomenon, a result, or a condition to occur or to be manifest. In other words, thresholds sometimes require ah, that pressing in. A threshold sometimes you've got to press over. You've got to because it's very easy to stay comfortable on this side of the threshold. But God doesn't want us in a place where we're going to stay comfortable. God wants us to have enough faith in Him, to have enough confidence in Him, that he is capable of taking you from one season into the next. How many of you found that out? Amen. Amen. So uh, the scripture that we've been reading every weekend from Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to see it from a different perspective. 
That scripture in Isaiah 40 remained just words on a scroll until John the Baptist began preaching repentance and and began preaching change. In other words, it wasn't alive yet. This was something that when the book of Isaiah was first inscribed, when that scroll was first written down, it was, okay, yeah, this is just another promise that God has made. Amen? Just like all the other promises that were in the Old Testament that were pointing to Jesus, they did not take on flesh. They did not take on that threshold experience until John the Baptist began to preach this. John the Baptist began to preach the the need for repentance. Why? Because they needed to change. Why? Because they needed to prepare for the one that was coming. Amen? Amen. When they saw and they heard about Jesus' message, about his miracles, about the love that he displayed, the intensity of his ministry launched them into change. Amen. It was like John the Baptist just drew a line in the sand and said, what are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay on this side where it's comfortable or are you going to allow the Spirit of God to change you? Are you going to allow yourself to confront some things in your life that you need to get out of your life? Repentance. Remember, repentance means you're going in one direction and you turn around and go in the opposite direction. Amen? And so that was the challenge. And that's the challenge that the Spirit of God is giving to the church right now. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay in your comfort zones? Do you want to stay where it's safe and where you've gotten used to? And, and possibly, do you want to stay wallowing in your comfort zone? Do you want to stay wallowing in the sin? Do you want to stay wallowing in, 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 in the, 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 the uh, ruts of life that have kept you sedated? I don't know about you. I don't want that. I want, I want to see change. I want to see the Word of God come alive. I want to see the Spirit of God move on people's lives. I want to see this church on fire for God. I want to see the devil regret that he ever attacked any one of your loved ones, that he's ever attacked you. I want to see, I want to, if I could say this nicely, I want to take it out of his hide. I guess that's okay to say. Now, Jesus, again, John the Baptist takes the people that God drew to him, and he could only take them so far. He could take them into repentance, preparation for the one that was coming. But his ministry was to take them so far, and that's it. Then Jesus picks up. Because in a very real sense, Jesus, his ministry is a ministry of preparation. He's preparing the disciples. He would take them. And in the beginning, you would see in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he does everything and the disciples watch. Then a little bit later on, he allows them to get involved a little bit. You remember he told them, go, go, go feed the people. Go feed. They came to him and said, you got all these people and nothing to eat? Well, you feed them. Well, we've only got a couple of loaves and a few fish here. Go feed them. And you remember, they participated. Remember, Jesus blessed it, but they distributed it. Are you listening? They had to have faith every time they went back and said, give me a few more pieces of bread and give me a few more fish. They learned, they learned. And then later on, what happens? Jesus is able to take his hands off and he's preparing them. So we get to the Last Supper and he's preparing them finally because he's leaving. They're clueless. They don't understand what he's saying. But he knew that he needed to, to arm the disciples with two major subjects. Number one was love, and number two was the Holy Spirit. 
And you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it until Jesus comes back. Okay? All the teaching that you and I have from the mouth of Jesus himself on the subject of love and on the subject of the Holy Spirit, we have in those chapters covering the Last Supper. Why? He's preparing them. For what? He's going away. They're going to have to pick it up. They're going to have to take up where Jesus left off. Amen? And he knew they were not ready. They needed what? They needed a threshold experience. They needed to go from watching Jesus, hiding behind Jesus, leaning on Jesus. They needed to go from that to come into the place where they could do the works that Jesus did. You remember he promised that to them. He said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works shall you do because I'm going to the Father. All right, but they knew they needed a threshold experience. They needed something so impacting that it would launch them into a new revelation of who he was, of who God the Father is, and the Holy Spirit. I hope you're, I hope you're, I hope you're, you're listening because this is another opportunity for every single one of us to experience that threshold, going into the next level, going to the next place, going to the next season. And I, I, I'm assuming that that's what you want. I'm assuming that's why you're here. I'm assuming that's why you're joining us online. I'm assuming that you want the same things. Amen? Amen. John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus speaking. I have much more to say to you. It is more than you can handle right now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is still going to happen. He will bring me glory. That's because what he receives from me, he will show you. Preparation, preparation, preparation. He taught them on love. You see, those are those chapters, chapter 13, chapter 14. He t he's teaching them on love. But he knew full well that they were not going to be able to walk in that kind of love until they saw, they witnessed his crucifixion and the resurrection. He talked about the Holy Spirit, knowing full well that they had no reference point. It's like we could say today, it's like teaching an Eskimo about palm trees. They'd never seen it. They'd never experienced it. But after Pentecost, it was a different story. Why? They got launched into a whole new season. They experienced a powerful threshold. They went from being just, in their own eyes, just regular guys, to, to men filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Spirit, Filled with the power of God. Amen? Amen? So, part three of this series, Prepare the Way of the Lord. Get your love in order. Get your love in order. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I really understand that statement you're making. Get your love in order. Why? Because the church has, got, has developed a warped perspective of what love is. We've become so inundated, so, so, so flooded with the ideas of the world, of what the world says love is. We've allowed that to come into the church. And then the genuine love of God sometimes can even be looked at as, be looked at as being harsh. But it's the truth that God loves us, that he cares for us, Amen. that he loved us with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, he draws us, according to Jeremiah the prophet. Amen? God's love is eternal. Man's is emotional. And since the beginning, God has loved his people and has proven that throughout the entire Bible. Paul tells us 
that because God loved us, he chose us to be adopted into the name of Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world were even set. That's according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He has always loved us and, can, and will continue to love us. However, we love based on emotion. We love whatever's making us feel good or what benefits us. God's love, listen, God's love never makes sense to the unsaved world. I'm going to say it again. God's kind of love will never make sense to the unsaved world. Why? Because the world, you know how the world loves? The world loves this way. I love you because I need you. That's the world's love. I love you because I need you. So, so what does that mean? When I stop needing you, I stop loving you. But God says, I love you because you need me. It's a completely different kind of love. And that's why it's so, it'll never be understood. Never be understood by this world. One of our Bible instructors at Bible school, a man who I truly admire, his name is Doug Jones, came here one time many years ago, and he taught on this subject, and he made this statement. Love is the great distance eliminator. Love eliminates the distance between people. Let me tell you a story about a movie that my wife and I just watched recently, past, about, about a week ago, based on a true story. It takes place in Rome during World War II while the German occupation was still going on. There was a Gestapo leader. His name was Colonel Kapler. He was the one who was in charge of taking care of a problem that they had in Rome. You see, uh, there was a Catholic priest, a Roman Catholic priest, his name was Monsignor O'Flaherty. And the Gestapo found out that this man was hiding thousands of escaped prisoners of war and Jews within the Vatican. Now understand that the Vatican was uh, considered neutral territory, respected by all parties. So as soon as someone got into on the Vatican territory, the Germans couldn't touch them, no one else could touch them. So this Gestapo colonel relentlessly chased this priest, tortured and executed two of this priest's closest friends. And so there's this, this, this constant harassment by the German forces in Rome to try to capture, to try to find out where are they hiding these people. They had them in different homes. They had them in basements. They had them even within the Vatican in the many underground uh, rooms that they have there. And so uh, this Monsignor Flaherty had a reputation. He cared for everyone that came to him, risked his life on a daily basis. He disguised himself in order to get food and medicines to those that were hiding. Uh, he successfully hid and smuggled 6,500 men, women, and children to safety. Now, that's a major, major accomplishment in a very small uh, space, geographic space there in the Vatican. Now, as the time went on, as the Allies approached Rome, the Germans were ordered to evacuate the city immediately. They had made a deal. Somehow a deal was made. I'm sure we'll probably never find out the total truth about it. That uh, a deal was worked out so that no damage would come to all of the thousands of ancient historical sites and the priceless works of art. Obviously, if the Allies started a bombing campaign or if the Germans got involved in bombing, the city would have been destroyed. So, 
as an act of desperation, this Gestapo leader, knowing that he's only got a certain amount of time to get himself and his family, he's concerned for his family, his wife and two children, had taken up residence there in Rome. And so he knows he doesn't have the time to get them out. And so in an act of desperation, uh, this colonel arranges for a face-to-face meeting with Monsignor O'Flaherty. And Kapler says to him, I want to see if it's true what's been said about you, that you help everyone. He said, it's said that you won't even pass a dog without helping it. And he goes on to say, I want you to smuggle my wife and children out of Rome to safety. This is a completely true story. You can go Google it and find out. The priest refuses. And then this this Colonel Kapler began to scream to him and say, I knew you weren't any different than me. I knew you were just like me. I knew this whole thing about God is not true. There is no God. There is no humanity. There is no love. Later, this Gestapo commander is arrested by the Allies. He's despondent now, thinking that his family has also been captured. And so he's questioned by the Americans, and this is the question they ask Colonel Kapler. Who smuggled your wife and children into Switzerland? Tears come to his eyes. He realizes that the one he hated and tried to kill on numerous occasions wasn't like him. And we're told that during this man's imprisonment, that every single month for over 10 years, Monsignor O'Flaherty went to the prison where that colonel was kept and ministered to him. And before the man died, he was baptized. That kind of love doesn't make sense to the world. That kind of love can only come from God and can only come because somebody had a threshold experience. See, Colonel Kapler, had that kind of experience. And when he had that kind of experience, a way on the inside of him for the Lord was opened up. That intense desire to save his wife and children that he loved caused him to consider the unthinkable, that he would ask mercy from a hated enemy. And and to see it come to pass, it's like, wow. Only God can put that kind of love inside of somebody. That kind of love is what changes individuals. Not the kind of love like we see demonstrated in our humanity without God. A love that's, that's frivolous, it's shallow, it's surfacy. It doesn't stand the test of time. Well, let me ask you this question. What do you think changed the Apostle John, the disciple John, from being called the son of thunder to the apostle of love? It was a threshold experience. Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem when they ran into trouble. Jesus attempted to find accommodations for the night in one place, but was met with opposition from the villagers simply because his destination was Jerusalem. And it was a result of that Jewish Samaritan prejudice. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And just because he was on his way to go to Jerusalem, that people in that village didn't want anything to do. And pick up on Luke in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, saw what? That the village had disrespected Jesus. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? Yeah, that's, that love walk, man, that's awesome. <laughs> but he, Jesus, turned and rebuked him and said, this is important, watch this, look. Look at this. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Now, watch this now. 
Notice, he didn't say they couldn't do it. He didn't say they weren't capable. He said, you don't really perceive what you have on the inside of you. I doubt very much sometimes if we really know what we have on the inside of us. You see, because when the Holy Ghost came to live on the inside of you, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I don't know that we really truly do know what spirit we are, what manner of spirit we are of. Because truthfully, I probably would have been the same one to say, come on, let's nuke them. Let's show them a lesson. Don't they know who we are? Don't they know who this is? Now, Jesus is more concerned for their welfare. Verse 56, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. James and John wanted to totally destroy that village because they disrespected Jesus. We must understand. And we must... This can't be just head knowledge. This can't be just knowing facts. Yeah, this is what the love of God is like. We've got to walk it out. And, and it's not only for those who treat us right. You listening? It's not only for the... It's, listen, it's easy to love somebody who treats you right. It's extremely difficult to love somebody who treats you bad, that doesn't have any regard for you. It's very difficult. But, but, and, and then, you know, some of us might want to take, might want to take the, the out of, well, you know, I'm not Jesus. Jesus could do that because he was God. But you have him living in you. And we know how to tap into him when we need him. Amen? So, what changed John from being the son of thunder, wanting to call down fire from heaven? At least you know he was reading his Bible. He knew that story about Elijah anyway. What changed him? Because for the rest of his life, he's known as the apostle of love. I'll tell you, I know what changed him. It was a threshold experience. See, at the cross, John stood there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. John heard Jesus forgive those who were killing him. That was his threshold experience. He saw, listen, he saw love in action. And forgiveness is one of the greatest expressions of God kind of love, the God kind of love. What changed Saul Tarsus, the persecutor, to Paul, the apostle of grace, the one who, who writes everything we know about grace, for the most part, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church. Here's a man who in his early life didn't even know the definition of the word. I'll tell you what it was. It was a threshold experience. It was Stephen's execution, the first martyr of the church. Stephen was a disciple of Jesus. We don't really know. We have no record whether Stephen ever got to meet Jesus in person when Jesus was still on the earth. Or if Stephen... Uh, got saved, came to Christ through the ministry of the apostles. We don't know if he might have been one of the ones on the day of Pentecost that was there in the temple when Peter was preaching that day, the day that the Spirit of God fell on the church. We don't know. But we know this. He was devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He served the needy of the church and he was condemned to death for preaching the truth about Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, that was a stickler. They could, they could take that Jesus might have claimed to be the, the, the Messiah, but when he claimed 
and when he conducted himself and when he carried himself as the son of God and when they the preaching of the gospel went forth about the resurrection they couldn't take it the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection they didn't believe in angels they didn't believe in anything supernatural and so here they are they target Stephen and so he's condemned to death but look what happens as we pick up here in Acts chapter 7 again what changed Saul of Tarsus murderous heart to Paul the apostle of grace Acts chapter 7 verse 54 and when they heard these things they heard Stephen preaching the truth about the grace of God the truth about the resurrected Christ the truth about who he was it says when they heard these things they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth but he Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said look I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes look at this at the feet of a young man named Saul and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God saying Lord Jesus receive my spirit then he knelt down look at this Saul's listening Saul's listening Saul's watching Saul's seeing this then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice Lord do not charge them with this sin and when he had said this he fell asleep I guarantee you that Saul must have felt like ah he never forgot this incident how do we know this? Because in Acts chapter 22, when he finds himself in Jerusalem once again after many, many years, he's giving an account of what he's experienced and he tells the story about he, as a young man, had watched over the clothes of those who stoned Stephen to death. That was Saul's threshold experience. He saw love in action by a man being murdered for his faith in Jesus. I would venture to say that that would change any of us. Change any one of our hearts to see something like that. Let me ask you this question. As you're either sitting here in person or you're joining us online. What? What is your threshold experience? What event caused you to turn from the path that you were on to the path that you now follow? What event in your life caused you to prepare a way for the Lord for mine it was my son's Michael my, my son Michael's birth very very traumatic he almost died on us he was born the cord wrapped around his neck many of you have heard me tell this testimony it was only two and a half hours before that I had made a deal with God that if he would watch over this baby we had lost a child between our oldest son and Michael and that, that really threw me into a tailspin. Probably the, the worst, most darkest part of my life was those couple of years when that happened. And I was on my knees in the Father's waiting room, and thank God by myself, and I, I said, God, if you're real, if you'll watch over this child, I'll give my life to you to do whatever you want with it. And, 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 and the most unexpected thing happened. He took me up on that deal hasn't let me off since but that was my threshold experience when I saw my son born with that cord wrapped around his neck 
navy blue. And I saw the doctor just rush in a split second, grab that cord, take it off his neck, and saw the color just come, just from head to toe, just come right back in him. And I literally cried from 2.30 that morning until 6 o'clock that morning. I had seen God resurrect my son before my eyes. That was my threshold experience. Everything changed. My perspective of God changed. My perspective of the reality of Jesus changed. My perspective of life changed. Nothing else mattered at that point. And I thank God for that. But the danger that we face today is that maybe some of us have failed to maintain the condition of that road, that way for the Lord. Prepare ye the way for the Lord. A road. Each one of us is responsible for preparing that road so that the Holy Spirit can come and do what he needs to do. And it doesn't happen just once. You don't just have one threshold experience. You have a threshold experience in every season that God is calling you to. When it was time to go to Bible school, God arranged things in our lives in such a way that we had to make a choice. We were either going to stay comfortable in our uncomfortableness. We were going to stay complacent. We were just going to put a peg in the ground and say, this is as far as we're going with God, that's it. Or we had to step out in a major, major way. Sell the business that finally had started to prosper. Sell our furniture. Sell everything we had in order to make this trip. But God gives you the grace when you're in a threshold experience, if you'll stick with him, he will always give you the grace that you need to go through that. So listen, church, please. I love talking about the subject of love. I love talking about how God prepares us as we yield to him, allowing him to fill in the potholes, allowing him to knock down the things that, are, that have risen up high in our lives, allowing him to straighten out that which is crooked, allowing the rough places to be made smooth. It's never painful, but it's always rewarding. But I'm afraid that, that some of us might be in danger, that we fail to maintain the condition of that road. Maybe we forgot our threshold experience. I don't know. It's very easy sometimes. You get busy with life. Maybe we've allowed hurts and wounds and offenses and sin to block that road again, creating potholes. Maybe, 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 maybe that we've tolerated too much ungodliness in our hearts and we've become too friendly with things we used to shun. All of those things will erode that, that place that we gained with God. All of those things will neutralize your threshold experience. Sometimes we'll be watching a movie and, and, I, and I'll grab the, the remote and I'll say to my wife, well, what are we doing? We would have never, we would have never watched something like this years ago. Shut, let's shut this thing off. Let's change this. You, a little bit at a time. A little bit, what am I, the only one here? A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. The erosion takes place. And we find ourselves not really loving what God loves and not really hating what God hates. There's a, a, a portion of scripture here in James chapter 4. It's a tough one, but it's just as much the word of God as John 3.16. 
Listen to this verse of scripture, James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Man, that's serious. That's it. Because you know, we can slip into that position and not even realize that we let the world come back into our lives again. That we've developed an affinity again for the things that were robbing us, killing us, and destroying us before. We need to wake up. We all need to wake up. First John chapter 2. I'm going to read to you from the New Living, uh, excuse me, the uh, Living Bible. First John 2, verse 15. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. Oh, pastor, do I need to hear this? This is kind of rough. This is kind of, honey, the same anointing that's on whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The same anointing is on the same Holy Spirit inspired James chapter 4 as well as 1 John chapter 2. He said, stop loving this evil world and all that it has to offer. For when you love these things, you show you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They are from the evil world itself. And this world is fading away. And this, these evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will do what? Live forever. Separate yourself more and more from the system of this world. Separate yourself more and more from sin. Even the simple ones, the lying, the gossiping, the unforgiveness. Grow closer and closer to God. Listen to this statement. I want you to hear this very clearly. God hates sin because it diminishes our relationship with him. Listen closely. God hates sin because it diminishes our relationship with him. God loves the people in the world, but God hates the world system. Why? Because the world system is the kingdom of Satan in action. It produces death. It produces poverty. It produces oppression. Instead of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Sin diminishes our awareness of the presence of God. Sin diminishes our gratitude for all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Not only that, it always throws us into a tailspin of guilt and condemnation. And sometimes I wonder how much we miss out from God while we're in that season of guilt and condemnation. So I would say this to you. Is your love walk full of potholes? Rough places? Has it gotten crooked? Are you really loving the things that the world loves? Or are you loving the things that God loves? And listen. Get your love in order. Prioritize that love. Make sure your love, your perspective of love, your love action. Make sure that it's lining up with what God says and what God has demonstrated as being love. Okay? Some of us don't want to confront people because we think if we confront people, that's a lack of love. No, no. If you love somebody, now, now make sure you're doing it in the right spirit. Make sure you're not just finger pointing. 
But, you, you know, sometimes, sometimes we need somebody to come and confront us. We need to somebody say, hey, listen, you know, I love you, but, you know, I've been watching your life lately. And I'm not, it's not that I'm judging you, but I love you too much to continue, to see you continue on this path that you're going. How many people would have been spared heartache, disaster in their lives if the people around them who so, so claimed to love, love that person, love you, love you, brother, love you, sister. Well, if you love me, if you see me walking off the edge of a cliff, if you love me, come and grab me by the neck and pull me back. Well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Don't worry about my feelings, okay? Don't worry about feelings. Be more concerned with what's going to happen to the end result of that person's life. If we truly love each other, we'll watch out for each other. We'll pray for each other. And we'll get involved when we need to get involved in each other's lives. Again, from the right heart, from the right spirit. And listen, don't simply only love those who can do you good. Man, I am so tired of seeing this. Don't love people only when they can do you good. Don't, don't, don't treat people like an orange, you know. Once you eat the sweet part on the inside, you want to throw the peels away. Is this too much truth? That's what we do sometimes. We love people when they can do things for us. We love people when they say the things we want to hear. We love, but then when that stops, when the gravy train pulls into the station, all of a sudden we want to throw people aside. We don't need them anymore. Do you like to be treated like that? I know I don't like to be treated like that. You know, some people go through things in life and they are left an empty shell. Sometimes it's through no fault of their own. And maybe, maybe you've got people that used to be in your life that at one point in time, they were a blessing to you. Honor them for who they were. You're listening. I don't know what it is we need to teach about this more. The church does not understand honor and does not understand how much emphasis and value that God places on honor. We need to talk about this in the future more. Say, well, they're not the same person they used to be. Maybe they're not. Maybe you contributed to them not being the person that they used to be. What are you going to do? Just throw them aside? You suck out the juice and throw away the peel. That's not how it works in the kingdom. It's not how it works in the kingdom. Well, I don't have any relationship anymore. That's fine. You don't have a relationship. Just you can let their good be spoken good of. I've always said this throughout the years. I thank God for the people that started this ministry with us. I thank God for the congregation people that we saw come in the beginning. Maybe they were only here for a few years. I thank God for the ones that are still with us. But I thank God for the ones that God used in their season. And no season lasts forever. Very rarely is it a lifetime contract. But be faithful to the season that you're in. And, and pay honor to the season. Maybe the person hates you now. That's their business. But pay honor for the time that they were there, for the time when they blessed your life, for the time when they were the shoulder that you cried on, for the time when they came and blessed you. Maybe they brought food to your house. Maybe they treated you. Maybe they made a car payment for you. And the relationship might have gone sour. That's fine. That's between them and God. But you and your heart, pay honor. That's the God kind of love. That's the God kind of love. That's the God, that the love that honors God. Are you listening to me? So listen, maybe today is your threshold experience. 
Maybe, there, maybe there's somebody here, somebody watching online, joining us online right now. Is saying, I'm hearing these things and they sound good and I really would love to have that kind of a relationship with God. But I feel like right now I'm on this side of the threshold. I'm still in this room full of darkness. I see on the other side of that doorway there's light. I see that there's love. I see that there's forgiveness. But I haven't experienced it yet. Does anyone that's here right now, before we leave this room, I want you to come up here and we'll pray for you and pray with you and we'll take you by the hand and we'll bring you across that threshold and you'll leave this place a child of God, a child of God. If you're joining us online, please reach out to someone right now. Reach out to our online host right now and indicate to them that you desire prayer for salvation. You'll experience the love of God firsthand and that love will come and fill your heart so that it will not be a burden, it will not be a chore for you to walk in that kind of love with others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church, listen, if there's anyone that needs prayer for anything right now, in these next few moments as we dismiss, I want you to know, please, don't take your burdens and go right back home. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you know, you're recognizing, hey, I used to have love for people. And man, things have happened. I've been disappointed. I've suffered all kinds of disasters lately and tragedies. And just my heart, I know my heart's not where it used to be. Well, don't leave here and just take that same burden home with you. Get rid of it. We'll pray with you. Same thing to those that are joining us online. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you, Holy Spirit of God, will do the work that needs to be done in each one of our hearts. Every person that's listening right now, I pray that we would come face to face with your love like never before and that it would impact us and impact our hearts and take us to the next level, Father, the next season of growth in the things of God in our relationship, not only with you, Father, but in our relationship with each other. Thank you, God, for blessing us during this time with your presence, with your word, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. If you need prayer, again, please come up. Those of you that are watching online, please indicate that you want prayer. God bless you.